This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside you're listening to inside of you with michael rosenbaum and i hope you listen to the new podcast in love with michael rosenbaum and chris sullivan on itunes which aired monday we love your support and to subscribe and write a review would be just really really awesome uh today's guest is a good friend of mine he was in guardians of the galaxy 2 with me much bigger part. He had a huge part in one as well. Uh, he's been in lots of movies. You know him from the Gilmore Girls. Uh, he's the brother of uh, James Gunn, the director, and one of my best friends. Sean has become one of my best friends. He really gets deep. In this episode, we talk about his father and his father's sick and how it's affected him. And then two weeks later, uh, his, his father passed. Big Jimmy, Big Jimmy Gunn passed away. And this episode is dedicated to him. Uh, he was loved by everyone who met him. Just a heart of gold, a laughter that was contagious. He made you feel like you were very special anytime you talked to him. He was one of the few fathers, friends' fathers that I texted. My friend Tom Lally, my best friend in the world, I, I text his dad and uh, Big Tommy, and I text Big Jimmy Gunn. Sean gets into a lot of great stuff today, dark stuff. He talks about his health and how he almost died, and he talks about being the youngest and he talks about being on the Gilmore girls and then it got canceled or, or and it ended, I guess. And he was kind of broke and lost his house and, um, a lot of stuff I think everybody can relate to. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please, uh, subscribe to in love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. Cause I really love this God. If I could just do these jobs, just being a pod, just doing a podcast and talking to you guys every day, man, it'd be a dream brother. Let's get inside of Sean Gunn. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. How do you feel about listening to yourself, Sean? I don't mind it too much. Really? Yeah, I know. I, it's like, I mean, my voice is a little bit weird, but... <laughs> 
Well, maybe that's what makes you so damn interesting when you play these different roles, like Kirk from the Gilmore Girls, and like right. this eccentric, and then you play like Craglin and Guardians. You get right. It's cool when your voice is a little different. Like Walken has a you know that distinct. Yeah, you know, it does this. And if you have your own thing, <laughs> I and, would like that. I would love that if people, you know, people doing imitations of you. It's kind of a compliment. You know you've made it. Yeah. If, you, if somebody was playing me on Saturday Night Live, I'd be like, my career is probably going pretty well. Yeah. I don't think people, like, they try to do impressions of me, like you or your brother, and it's more like, hey, I'm Rosenbaum. I'm cool. Now, your your <laughs> voice is is very sort of- um, Boring. Not boring, It's but it's very sort of, you know, standard English. Like, it's very, like, Midwest. You're Midwestern, but you're also the, 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 the timber of your voice, and everything is- um, it is pretty um unoriginal bland no no <laughs> <laughs> i knew it was coming if you know a gun you know that they got a point out yeah i can't help no it. it's good it's good i appreciate it. you know you said something when we when we started talking when you came in the house mm-hmm. first i said god you've been here a million times you're like actually no i haven't i've been right. here once or twice <laughs> yeah and we used to play uh mafia that's right and uh how would you explain mafia in one sentence um, or two it's a parlor game which I, I like being able to call it a parlor game, right. but that I think gained its peak in Hollywood somewhere between five and 10 years ago. And it's really just a game designed to pit people against one another to pr- try to prove their own intelligence over other people. It can be fun, but I think it was also like, it, to me, it's not a coincidence that it coincided with the poker boom because Hollywood people can be very competitive in ways that, that are secretive and... Yeah, you articulate what you just did off the cuff was pretty good because I don't think I could summer, you know, because I would say, oh, there's 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 townsfolk and there's mafia and the mafia invades the city (laughs) and this this town and there's good people and there's bad people. And it gets a little. I think I answered your question more from a cultural perspective. Yes, you did. What is the game? Yeah. But yeah, I think the game itself is very much. um you know, I think it's popular. It was popular in Hollywood because we're actors, and you like you to act. try to fool people and and show how good you are. It got really. I don't think. I, I definitely think that you know, you James and I and Yarvo and some of these guys. Yarvo directed Brightburn, and um, you know, it it was one of those things where we were doing it right at the beginning of it. We were really. It was at my house. It was at James's house. It was you know. It, w- it would get so heated to the point where I remember James, we were so heated. And he's like, you're a fucking liar. You're a liar. <laughs> and, and and I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, you're a terrible actor. You're a- and oh. I, No, then he stopped. He goes, I take that back. You're a good actor. But <laughs> fuck you. It was just, he, I mean, it was, and then afterwards, you apologize. Because no, dude, yeah. it got to the point where like, I think we, we actually tried this about a year ago at James's house, your sibling, and Jen- um, his girlfriend. Yes, and we played there. Were you there that night? Um, Were, probably not. And it just—I remember Jen was getting really uncomfortable. I, you know, it, people get uncomfortable if they're not if they, if they don't like loud people like me, uh-huh. like James. We're loud. Yes, and we're you know a little boisterous. You're you're you're, uh, you're alphas. I guess as, so. as people might say. I'm not sure I subscribe to that idea that they're alphas and betas as as people. Um, but if I did, you are certainly one alpha. Really? And I, and I think James is uh, James is definitely an alpha as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously. He's yeah. like, you know, that's what I don't think you can be a director if you're not an alpha. No, you sort of you sort of have to be. But you know, there's times when 
I don't know. I mean, as a director, the, the amount of responsibility, especially the responsibility that he has now with all these things, it's like, you really have to know what you're fucking doing. And if you don't, you sort of have to fake it or you have to defer to these great people around you. So surround yourself with great people. And I think Spielberg always says that and, and where they just surround themselves with guys that they know are going to come through yeah. and they can help them figure shit out because no one can be that genius where every problem is solved by them. Right. You have to have a committee. You have to have some people that kind of help you out. My dad always used to say that his success was due to the fact that he never hired anyone dumber than him. Um, wow. That's <laughs> which smart. was pr probably not true. It's probably more just a, something to say, but that point of view of like, make sure you surround yourself with people who are good at their jobs and know what they're doing. Um, Jimmy's really, really good at that. You said Jimmy. I always yeah. say Jimmy. We, you, you and I are the only one that calls him Jimmy? Who else calls him Jimmy? Well, all my siblings do. They for do. For the most part, yeah. So, you know, I've always called him Jimmy, and I and um, I don't see any reason to stop calling him Jimmy <laughs> just because he's, you know, and he introduced himself as Jimmy. But I, I think he now enjoys the fact that, like, he can bestow upon someone the honor of being able to call him Jimmy. Right. You know, and yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. now it's like a gift he can give them. It's like, it's okay if you call me Jimmy. <laughs> You you talk about like um your dad always surround you know he said never hire anyone dumber mm -hmm. than him always smarter you know I do that on diff in different ways I've always surrounded myself with really good people and for a long time I felt like I did that and I still do because I didn't like myself I know it sounds mm -hmm. fucked but I didn't really love myself and I've I'm learning too and it's mm -hmm. kind of it's kind of cool to just go. Hey, dude, whatever you've done, whatever flaws you have, whatever you think you're not girls that I've dated would say, I think I want to date you because you're friends. Well, let me tell you. So and I said to you when I came in the door that I'm a big fan of this podcast. And I mean that sincerely. I've listened to like over half the episodes for sure. Ugh, and, I love um, you. And and it's also it's not only is does it do so, does it do I feel like you're doing something interesting here, but also it's particularly good for actors and actors like me who feel sort of part of the fellowship of of being somebody who's in the entertainment industry and has been in the business um for a long time. But um but one thing I've noticed about you is that you tend to sort of fall back it's clear to me from listening to you a lot that you were t that that you were told that you weren't very smart growing up or that you believed that you weren't and that it was mm -hmm. something that was just sort of ingrained in you because like probably you got shitty grades or whatever it was oh, yeah. you know L or like stuff, you know yeah. you're you know you're uh you've said that you know your dad would berate you for not like knowing yeah, and look, more in school yeah. and stuff like that sure but i also think that it's something that you're obviously an incredibly smart guy. I learned when I was very young because I was always told how smart I was. Like I was the opposite. I was always like, you've got this amazing brain. And I would like test through the roof and things like that. And, yeah. but I learned pretty young, you know, my, my brother, Matt, who's only a couple years older than me. Political uh, producer, right? Yeah. He, he's, a, he's a writer for real time with Bill Maher right. and he's incredibly bright. But when we were growing up, I noticed that I was the one who was like the, the, oh, you're, he's, you know, I'm, I'm smart and I have all these math abilities and things. Matt, you know, he's, it takes him a little longer and not that he's slow, but like he, uh, he has a learning disability. There were things in school. He didn't get grades that were as good, but I learned pretty quickly that that was bullshit. I mean, 
intelligence shows itself in many different ways. And I'd get to high school and know that I sort of felt uncomfortable and weird and was not super popular. And here's my brother, who's supposed to be the not smart one. And he's like super popular and super smart and can navigate people and can form relationships with adults and his peers in a way that I couldn't. And I'm like, maybe what people are telling me is intelligence is sort of nonsense. And that intelligence is something actually much more complicated than all that. And um, I know now, growing, you know, as an adult, that that's definitely true, that intelligence manifests itself in many different ways. And so I don't want to take away your stick of saying, oh, no, I'm an idiot. <laughs> You'll need to do that sometimes. But you're a really bright guy. Well, uh, you know what? I've learned in therapy to um, take things in mm -hmm. and say, you know, just listen and hear what people say and don't just discard it or uh, run away from it or be embarrassed by it and and. I'm learning to just kind of look you in the eye and go, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. It's kind of you. It's very hard for me. Mm -hmm. I understand. It is because, uh, you know, you're right. You said something a few minutes ago. You said when you're ingrained, like you're ingrained as a child with um, a perception of yourself, you know, and, and, and again, I don't sit here saying, you know, going on about how bad my parents were. I'm just, I didn't feel certain things. Sure. I didn't feel that I was smart. I, I felt that, you know, I, I, was, I was called a hey, dummy. How do you not know this? Hey, there's things in your life, teachers, and you start to believe it. After a while, you believe that, well, my grades aren't good. People think I'm not that smart. They're not listening to me. No one listens to my, what I have to say. No one cares about my opinion. Um, and my parents don't even think I'm smart. So then you're definitely like, wow, if you get to that point, I don't know. I think I just hid behind always be trying to be someone I, I was. I, look, I think at a young age, I got self-esteem. I've talked about this. I got self-esteem and approval from doing a play and people just, uh, I remember this popular kid, I always tell the story, but he, he just says, hey, you're funny. That was it. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem goes up, approval goes up, and that's what I've been striving for my entire life. And that's not self-worth because that is, you know, the, the colander effect. It's like a colander, the water just goes right through it. And, you know, it's just... what. It wasn't until recently that I'm starting to understand that, like what you said, intelligence isn't just, hey, I got great grades or I'm an SAT mm -hmm. master because I wasn't good at either of those things. Mm -hmm. I'm not even great about taking directions. If somebody says, I want you to do this, I'm like, ah, uh, I always feel stupid. It's weird. Like I, I start to get this anxiety and this like numbness when I feel like uh, I don't know what that person's saying. Oh my God, I'm going to be ridiculed. I feel stupid. I'm starting to realize maybe like I, I couldn't have, if I'm that dumb then I, I couldn't memorize all those lines or I couldn't go direct a movie or I couldn't, I'm starting to give myself a little bit of credit. Now I'm working on it. Yeah. And I really am because I'm like, okay, you're not, you're not obviously not stupid. Yeah. And you didn't luck into this stuff. I mean, look, you live in a, you live in a beautiful house. I'm sure there's plenty of things you want in your career that you haven't gotten, but but there's a heck of a lot that you have gotten and, yeah. and you're gratitude. Res you're respected for the work that you've done. It's not like you, you know what I mean? And so like all these things are things that you didn't accidentally trip and fall into. It yeah. took some intelligence to, to make the world that you want. I think every, you know, we live in a society, I mean, not even a society, but like everybody's wrong. Everybody's this, you're stupid. If you say this and how do you find, I'm like a kind of, the kind of guy that's just off the cuff that just sort of says, speaks his mind. And sometimes it's like, well, maybe if you just shut up and think about what you're saying, you won't sound stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I think we, I put my, my foot in my mouth quite often. Hmm. And, uh, I think cause I speak, you know, how I feel and sometimes how you feel is. I don't know if necessarily feel, I don't know how you translate that, but um, 
you know, you you're a very calm person. For the most part, I haven't seen you I lose your so. shit. I haven't seen you lose your shit. Yeah. Now I'm sure you did. I mean, I know your family. I know uh-huh. your parents. I know sure. your um and I know your dad. It's no secret. He drank. Oh yeah. As as a kid. And uh-huh. were you privy to that? Were you uh No, he quit right around the time I was born. But he didn't get help for it till he was a little older. So a lot of that, you know, what people talk about, um, you know, uh being a dry drunk where you maybe technically sort of quit drinking, but you haven't gotten any help or any counseling for it. And so you kind of still display all of those same characteristics that an alcoholic might have. Um, and so I'm very familiar with that part of my dad. And he also, you know, um, had pill problems and like, you know, would take stuff for his back and things like that. And so I remembered all that until he got help for it. Um, when I was like a teenager and there was a very clear change in my life and in my upbringing from that point on, after my dad really got help for those things, um, our family dynamic changed a lot and my upbringing changed a lot. When you say a lot, was that something that you, uh, just by hearing from your brothers and sisters or whoever else, did you feel like a sense that there was this volatility when before you were born that there was sort of like an imbalance and you know f- uh, a lot of feuding in the in the family more than anything it was that my dad was physically not very present so he wor- he would work like i mean w- you know when i was a very young kid my dad would work like 100 120 140 hours a week you know what I mean? Like he was just not. Did he love it? There. Was he a workaholic? He, a way workaholic. Obviously. And right. Jimmy has that too. Jimmy's yeah. inherited that from him. Yeah. But um, but he, he was very, um, uh, he would work all the time. And, uh, you know, you can go back and sort of psychoanalyze that from different perspectives. I mean, was it, was it really just loving his job that much? Was he not wanting to go home as much? Was he like, who, who knows? But my memory of my dad when I was super young is that he would come home from work, usually fairly late. And that when he came home, everything in the house, it was time for it to sort of like stop and be quiet. And like the, you know, it's like the, the boisterous part of the day with all of you know, like there's eight people living in this house. And so the, uh, so you were still, the others were around still when you were there. Yeah. And then they started to go to college and right. then I got a little, you know, older. And I think, I, I guess when I was around 10 is when, is when my dad kind of like got help and started to, it, it makes sense. It was the, why did he get help? Because of my brothers, because, because they, pestered uh, him. they sort of like, said, well, no, I think he just saw, he was invested in it. I mean, he really did love his family and his kids. And my 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 brother James quit drinking and started to it became introspective. You go into treatment, you get sober, you look inside, you start to like do you know, and it was the early eighties, you know, early mid eighties. Yeah. It was like it started to become fashionable to to uh really look at yourself and to see and 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 I think my dad wanted to support my brother and then my brother my next brother also like got sober and, um, and I think my, that Patrick, yeah. And I think, um, you know, in the process of my dad wanting to support them and seeing what it was he they were going it. through it, he did it himself. And he started yeah. to say, Oh, I have all these patterns of behavior that were, that were not, not good for my life. And from that point on, he was, my parents changed so much, you know, around the time that I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. So my oldest brothers at that point, when I was 10, 11, 12, they were 16, 18, 20. So for them, it was already, they were 
in early adulthood. But for me, I was still a kid. Right. But that's the house that I grew up in. I don't really know. The house that Jim built. Yeah. The house that Big Jim yeah. built. Yeah. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Were they always loving parents? Because now, you know, I see them and I see this mm-hmm. side that, you know, he's just such a, a calm, lovable, you yes. know, he calls me Rosie. He's like, Rosie, how are you? He's you know, great. He's still texting. And just like this soft-spoken man. And so when I hear stories about like, you know, he was a big drinker and mm-hmm. he could get a little physical or he could get whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's just this guy. He's like, hey, fuck, I made mistakes. And now I'm, I've got this new life. And was he one of those fathers where he said, I'm proud of you? Sean, I love yes. you, Sean. You Constantly. always felt that. Constantly, you know, and and my and and as you know, my dad's get you know, he's uh his he's getting older and his his health is is uh failing him now. And so you're kind of looking back over over a life. And my brother, um my brother Matt said to me, it's sad that we're seeing our our father sort of reach the the end of his life, but look at all these great things, first of all, that he accomplished. Look at this great family that he he helped sort of raise and teach. And and Matt said, have you have you ever wondered whether you were loved or whether, you know, have you ever questioned whether our parents 
were proud of you or loved you? And the answer is no. They always they told us constantly. And I grew up being told that like, hey, anything you want to do with your life, we support you. And you can go ahead and do that. Whatever it is you want to do, like we'll do that. My parents told me that always. And I grew up thinking that that's what parents say to kids. Like I just thought that that's, well, let's say like that's <laughs> uh, what you're. No. no I know. <laughs> and it wasn't really until I got to college where I realized how many people had parents that like discouraged them from doing the things that they wanted to do or, or weren't or, that influential or, or yeah, supportive or, or, or just didn't, didn't care or checked out or, yeah. you know, all those things. And like, I don't want to say that I came from this model family. I didn't, my parents certainly had their ways in which there was a lot of things about my family that, that weren't perfect. And in, in some ways I feel more raised by my older siblings than I do by my parents. But you know, I've great old, older siblings, so yeah. that kind of works out true. too. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's so weird. I became the, believe it or not, like I was the one, like right in the middle, sort of. I remember my older brother calling me like at two in the morning. He has anxiety attacks, and I'm sort of walking him through it as this drunk 19 year old kid in college, and you know, my mom telling me she's going to kill herself after my parents got divorced, and I'm like, mom, I just got my first TV show, and. I got to be in work in the morning and please don't kill yourself. And, you know, my sister just, I'm always their therapist until one day, the, some of the best advice I ever got were my therapist, my uh, therapist from a few years back. I always say you get a little bit from everybody, even if they're not whatever you wanted, you get something. And he said, you know, cause I'd say, you know, oh, my mom's crazy. This is this. He goes, you know, what's crazier is you thinking you could make them different or change them and make them the sister or mother, whatever it is that you want or you trying to fix them. That's crazy. That's fantasy. That can't happen. So you're wasting your time by doing this and you're enabling and your energy for yourself that you're not giving yourself all this energy. It's exhausting. And that's all you do is help. I did this endiogram. It's called, I didn't know what a fucking endiogram is. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I did, but this there, one therapist said, take an endiogram. Just take it. And I go, what is it? Just take it. It's 20 minutes. I'll send you the quiz. And it tells you your personality traits. It tells you, you know, what you are. And of course, I was number one helper, number two loyalist, number three enthusiast. <laughs> which, which, of course, look at me, I'm <laughs> full of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, right. To me, I have a weird relationship with it because, on one hand, I did have this great. Um, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly privileged in so many ways. I have this great family. You know, um, I, I'm a, like, you know. I'm a straight white male. You get all the things that go along <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah. And like, and, and so I'm incredibly privileged, but I also, I had a lot of health problems, which, which I never, you know, which made me feel like an outsider. What health problems? Um, I, I had all, I've, I've had a lot of health problems in my life growing up. I, Ch I from um, childhood was the big um, ones. Childhoods. I, I had a bunch, I had several major surgeries in the first several years of my life. Um, I have a lung condition, uh, called restrictive airway disease, which is in the family of having asthma, but it's not, it's something a little different. And, um, I was born with a pectus. So I have, I had this like hole in my chest, um, which doctors for, um, for the first 10, 12 years of my life. And then beyond that thought they wasn't, sh they weren't sure if my body was going to be able to d develop. They thought that my, my, my chest might actually collapse in on itself as I got older. So, um, and this is what your parents were hearing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so I went to doctors constantly. I would go like once a week. Did you hate it? Um, no, 
I grew up with it. So that I like, like I go b- back to the, I'll go, <laughs> I had to go to the hospital a couple months ago, but I'll go into a hospital now and that smell, you know, that distinctive oh, smell of a hospital, it's very comforting to me, It's really? which is like totally the opposite of almost everyone else I've ever known. I understand it. I get it because it's like for, for us, I mean, look, I've had a lot of surgeries too, spine surgeries and everything. And mm-hmm. I, there's a comfort to it knowing that, Hey, there's people here who are going to help you. And I mean, did they think you were, you're going to die at a young age? Did you have any scares? We're like, Hey, Sean might not make well, it. Well, I had a major surgery when I was like four where I had major reconstructive chest surgery. And so that was certainly a life threatening surgery. And then I had a board strapped to my back that like to keep my chest upright as a kid, which made me sort of this little weirdo. I was incredibly skinny. I was like, you know, my brother still likes to tell the story in interviews of how I used to, I used to go through a wire coat hanger, just a regular wire hanger. I would put my whole body through it without, without bending it. And, and that was like, until I was like 12, like, like pretty, did you hate it? Oh, I loved it because I was a performer. And so I hate it now. <laughs> I hate it now when interviewers bring it up and they're like, hey, somebody said you had this great trick you can do. I'm like, yeah, when I was a child, you know, but, but, um, <laughs> but I, so I was like this mascot, you know, where my siblings would trot me out and have me do these tricks for their friends and things like that. And if it was James, I'm sure, Jimmy, it was mean. Yeah, it was always kind of half mean, you know. <laughs> of course. Um, and and uh, but I was I was a performer. I told jokes. I would like to get and and I had I had then what I still have now, which is that when I when I perform in front of people, I feel alive in a way that like nothing else really gives me. I mean, you don't get nervous. Um, I do get nervous. I do, but that there's an excitement to it that feeling when you're you must know it i mean you're a performer so that feeling when 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 you're like in the zone yeah (laughs) yeah you're an ex-performer you should know about (laughs) i'm an (laughs) ex-performer yeah you used to be an actor yeah i was Um, an actor once oh god no but i you know that that feeling when you're kind of like everyone's watching and you know you have them Mm -hmm. like it can happen on stage um it can happen like like I hosted an awards ceremony and it ha- happens there or you go into an audition that's like filled with a room of people and you know when you've got them like you you can oh, yeah. you can feel it that's you know a what i mean feeling, yeah. and like what feels better than that i don't i still you know i i, I still ch- that's the dragon i chase you crave it today yeah i mean i've just always wanted to perform i still it's one of the reasons why i get some inspiration by listening to your podcast because i like listening to these people that have had all sorts of different careers that have taken left turns and right turns and where it goes in a direction yeah. they don't know where it's going to go because i still have you know like whatever i had an audition yesterday that i want so bad and i don't think i'm gonna get it it's killing me it's killing me today you know, yeah. and I still have it all the time do you know what that's one thing as much anxiety as i have and all the other shit I have always been really good about not getting something. To me, it's almost a relief. Hmm. I don't have to put so much into it. And, you know, my work ethic has to change. And I think if it did, I think from a young age, I I just worked to the point where it's like you take a break from this. You don't have to work all day on a part every day. You could spend two or three hours and then go have another life. Mm-hmm. And I worked so hard that... I think it affected me and I know what my work ethic is. And I just, that's, I've had so much success that it's hard to change at this point because that's how I do it. 
when I have I have that relief sort of after an audition where I leave and I just rip the pages up and I throw them in the trash before mm-hmm. I leave the, and I leave. And, you know, I what I don't like is people, hey, you know, I don't tell my mother about auditions. I stopped doing that. And I think 90 nine or two maybe two thousand sure because it was like did you get it yeah mom saving private ryan is already in theaters i did not <laughs> get the fucking part which i did audition and there's sometimes i'm very good at watching something going god you could never have done that this guy killed it mm. ed norton in that uh primal fear god he killed it i was very very close to getting that oh god back in the day and i go i couldn't have done that he's extraordinary but then there's some stuff i watch and i go i could do that you could have done that roll you could have done I, it. I wouldn't have done it that way, but listen, I'm, what I'm saying is he was. So I know, genius. I know that's not what he was so genius that I don't think I would have made that kind of choice. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, like, believe it or not, like I'll watch some things and it sounds cocky, but I'll go, well, that he's genius and he's great and he deserves every award in the world. Mm-hmm. But I could have done that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I yeah, will yeah. say that, or I'll. I'm confident about things, but I'm also like realistic, and I'm and you know I don't have to have everything. But like, I, well, I've been doing it long enough to know that that like. That's the way the job works is you go in on an audition and that's your job is to, is to audition. And once it's done, it's done, you know? And like, that's, that's like you said, you rip up the sides when you're walking out. Like that's the mindset you need to have. Like that's the, the athlete's mindset. Actually doing that in practice is tricky in different ways, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Leaving and, it on the field. So it's not like, that easy. I'm pretty good at leaving most of them on the field. There are those ones that get under your skin, you know, oh, and yeah. those ones that are like. What are the ones? Without saying the last one, because you probably can't say the last. one. I can't say the last one. Who knows? Maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll still call. Although it's TV, so usually get a call the next day on TV. You know, movies can be weeks before you hear anything. Yeah, you never know. You, you never, never know. know. It's you true. Know. Urban Legend was. I remember some bumping into some girl, and she goes, "Are you Michael Rosenbaum?" And I'm like. Yeah, she goes. My name is Tara. I'm sorry, Tara Reed doesn't talk like that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm Tara, Tara Reed, and I'm like, oh, oh hey, I don't know you. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know anybody. And she goes, um, you're gonna play my boyfriend in Urban Legend. And I go, <laughs> ah, that's funny. I auditioned for that like a month ago. She goes, no, you're 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 the guy. They they already told my agent that you're the guy. I'm like, why am I finding this out from you? Oh god. So then I call my agent the next day. Oh, we haven't heard anything. Yeah, right. And of course, about a week later, I get a call saying, "Hey, man, you booked the job." Well, there you go. You got so it. So that it does happen, but it is rare. They like you to were. Move if fast. I'm, unless I'm mistaken, you were with Tara Reid when I met you. Yeah, I don't think you would like, ever remember this. It was probably many, many years ago. And if I'm not wrong, to, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you at a rap party for the movie? I think it was the movie Basketball. It was one of those Trey Parker Matt was it at the Playboy, Playboy Mansion. Mansion. Yes, I was, and I met you Motley there. Crew or uh, uh, who played there? Um, Wasn't it like Metallica or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Metallica played a private concert, I and I was that. there. My brother Patrick was involved in the production of that movie somehow, or distribution, I guess. Um, and was it nice? And I was there, and I was there with Jamie Kennedy. And you uh, knew Jamie, and Jamie was a friend of mine. Right. And he introduced. No, no, no. It was literally like a, a. Uh, you hey, know, dude. A, hey, yeah. Hey, man. Oh, hey, man. Uh, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, cool, bro. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, and that that was when I met you. But I, I mean, we, I didn't really meet you until years later. But um, anyway, where was I going with that? So you leave it on the field. You leave auditions on the field. But I, I also am not. I, I feel like I keep almost leveling up in my career you you are obviously leveling up then i do when i'm not looking for it 
and then I don't again when Isn't I think that I'm going happens, to. Like you know that, what right? I mean? Yeah, sure. And like things were going for me as well as they could have ever been going, having had the revival of Gilmore Girls come out and be a huge success, and having Guardians Two come out and be a, be a huge success, and to have like an Guardians arc in that three, movie sure. and yeah. have a substantial role and to have a lot of press from that and have been doing the Rocket stuff, which I didn't get as much you know acclaim for but then more people knew about and then and so i'm like hey man i'm like right here i'm ready for things to go and And then then you go down a bit then i went and i did the biggest movie of all time infinity war and endgame as rocket (laughs) you know but it's not my face it's not my voice i spend a year doing that and then i can't get a job after i'm done doing that so like it's like this weird i have these weird ebbs and flows yeah, and, and you know, obviously that's the career. It's just like you know, that's the career we chose, and you love it and you hate it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I look at your career, and we met what they're called Sunset Sundays. Is yeah, that, that was my you, house, your yeah. house. You used to have Sunset Sundays, and James would invite me over, and I'd go to your place, mm-hmm. and that's where we met. You have cheese and wine, and yeah. all this stuff, and I, that's where I met all that the the motley crew of people, and right. the, the Yarvos and the Steve Ages who. You know, and everybody ended up working on, on Guardians and a lot mm-hmm. of James's projects. And, um, you know, we always got along. We always, like, we hit it off. And I always liked you. And then fast forward to I just went to your wedding. Yeah. You know, and you married Natasha. And you yes. just, it was about a month ago. It was in Catalina. Yeah, yeah. And everybody was there. And it was just a... It was a fantastic wedding. It really was. It was oh, the, thanks. Just the, the little picnic area. It where was so beautiful. Just, it, it was and beautiful. it meant a lot to me that you made it because I knew you had been... You had been you know, I had having surgery, some, yeah. some surgery, but I, some, I didn't want to miss it. I was like, I'm getting my ass like out there. Um, and, but everything it's 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 like you look at you know, and I just love seeing it because I remember you did Gilmore Girls, and I remember there was a lull there for a while where you were like, "Fuck, dude, I need to work. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I need to pay my rent, and right. it's it's tough, and it's God, it's just like one day you have a series for seven years, sure, and then the next thing you know, you're like, uh, I can't. I oh can't yeah, find yeah, a job. man. I, I lost my house. I mean, I, and I don't. I I like to be upfront about that and not be sort of embarrassed by. I think it's important to not be embarrassed by yeah, things it's imp- like it that. It is. Yeah, I had that house that was up on the hill in Silver Lake, and it was just kind of a perfect storm of. You know, it was like a little over my head. Then the relationship thinking too. that well, there was a relationship that ended, but. It was mostly just like the series ended, um, work got slow in a way that it never had been in my whole career. So like I, w- I had always booked at a really good rate, you know, until after Gilmore Girls ended, which is like, and then all of a sudden I wasn't working that much. And then the housing market collapsed, you know, so like everything, all that, the whole financial crisis. Was that your lowest time? Um, yes. Yes, were you? It was. Were, did you? Did you feel like I'm depressed? It I, was. I have anxiety. What how, big time? Mm-hmm. What did you do about it? Um, I don't know. You I saw think Dr. I moved, Lowe. I think I moved on. You know, I just kind of pressed forward. Um, I, I did. I did go to therapy, but not till a little bit later. Like I didn't write during the worst part of things, but I was pretty low, and I was like, "What am I going to do?" I'd never had a. I made my living as an actor from the day I moved to LA. Like I never had a day job in LA. I like, I like had, had made just enough money doing commercials in Chicago. Um, when I moved to LA to be able to like, to like kind of ride my first six, eight months of not working until I booked, started booking jobs and started working. And so I hadn't always, I'd been supporting myself as an actor often just barely, 
but been supporting myself doing that for you know 15 full, years 20 yeah, yeah well yeah till like 2012 from uh, yeah so like 15 years close to 15 years and, and, and then all of a sudden like i was out of money and i lost my house and i'm like what am i gonna do what are you thinking of getting a I, real job i had to i'm gonna have to get a real job i had to dude the day well i was gonna start teaching because it was the one thing that i'm like I'm qualified to do this. I'm I don't not. I don't love doing it, but I can do it and I done I had done some acting, I'd done some coaching for 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 friends um and had good success like they had booked roles when I had coached them for auditions and stuff and I had and I had taught some a little bit like some workshops and stuff and I was like I was like I guess I'm going to do this and I wrote up a a plan to do it and I was going to post this thing where I was going to do some acting workshops. And like my brother called me and said, Hey, I want you to come do guardians for six months in London. Like right then, like the day that I was going to post those things on wow. Facebook saying that I was going to do these acting workshops. And it was devastating to me. Like I, I just never, I never had a big ego about being like hugely successful or hugely famous, but I, I always had a pretty big ego about being good and being hireable and being an actor is my profession. It's not my dream, you know, like, to me, the word dream is, is associated with, um, something that's not real. And so I was always like, no, it's not, this is not a dream. It's my profession. It's what I do for a living. I am not my work. <laughs> Ray know? Nelson said that. Um, uh, well, I don't, I, I might be my work, but I, I don't know. But I, uh, but I, I always felt like very connected to the fact that like, I wasn't worried about my career collapsing and then it did. Yeah. Not that we have to go into it, but I kind of want to go into it because I really, I look at these pictures and I look at the videos and I see you on set and I see you as Rocket. It's equivalent to like Andy Serkis in um, Lord of the Rings, correct? As Gollum, in in a way. Here's where it's different. I always, I need to point out where it's different. Okay. First of all, the process is different because Andy Serkis actually has all the like digital balls on his face and stuff. So there's actual motion capture. So the performance is is digitally altered through an algorithm where they take somebody's performance and turn it into another one digitally. I don't do that because Rocket is too different from a human. Well, he's, he's the size up to your like mid shin. Right. And also his face. His face has like a snout. It's not a humanoid it's a face. small face. So when they do it digitally, it looks stupid. So they, what they are doing is they're actually looking at what I'm doing and then manipulating it the animators are like animating what I'm doing, but they can change it. They can tweak it. Also, I'm not playing the role. I mean, Bradley Cooper comes in later and does the, does the voice of the character and he completes the performance. It's like, there's several people involved first and then he's involved and then there's it's three so, steps there's you doing yes. it then it's sort of like animated or whatever yes. and then the voice right and then it's animated again so it's right. almost like there's almost like a, an animation draft and then he completes it and then the animators like really complete it. when they asked you because you they asked you they said james said hey you're gonna play rocket mm-hmm. i mean first of all how did he know that you would want to play rocket like playing this crawling around like physically uh I mean, that's well, a, we, we didn't know. He, first of all, he knew I would want the job because, as I said, I was, uh, broke, yeah, I was broke. Yeah, of course. But but he but we didn't know what that was going to look like. He just knew that he wanted a real actor to do it on set so that the other actors weren't talking to a blank space or a a tennis ball on a stick or, you know, a PA holding a 
a binder in their hands. So you you're know saying I mean? all the lines and everything. So he's like, so I want you to come do it. He's like, at the very least, I want you to read it for the read through. We're going to figure out what we're in. But there was some ridiculous, I mean, like there was this thought that maybe, you know, we, we had a, a little person that was m- going to walk around as rocket with a speaker, like hanging from her neck with my voice coming out of it. And it was the most bizarre and awful thing. You know, I we did the first rehearsal and we What's up everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Like, okay, let's get this thing up on its feet. And I was like, I'm just going to get down and start doing it. And I have a very, I'm very limber and I have a weird sort of body type and um, incredibly open hips. And so I was able to kind of crouch down and start doing the role. And it was like, this is what works. And so that's what we, that's what we did. How demanding is it? Honestly, I mean, you can't tell me that you're not physically like, for me, I look at it and I'm like, my knees would kill my it's, back. My it's neck. demanding. Everybody always think it's my knees, but for whatever reason, my knees are fine. It's my ankles and my feet that hurt really bad at the end of the day. Um, Do you have your in your contract my, that you have to have like massage therapists? I was gonna put try to put it in there for three, honestly, You're but sure? I haven't yet. It, it's funny because I'm starting to get too old to do it, you know, and like. One of the many, many bummers about my brother getting fired from Guardians 3 was that was that it postponed for like two years, you know, or however many years. I was I wanted to play Rocket in the third movie and then put it to bed and not do it anymore because I'm getting too old to do it. And and then after it was like, oh, well, now we're postponing the movie for another however long we postpone it. It's like, damn it, I got to like, I'm going to have to do it when I'm even <laughs> older than I am. <laughs> But I have to finish it. I mean, I have to finish the, you know. The first one. Mm -hmm. To play Rocket, to play Craglin at the same time. Craglin wasn't as big of a role as the one in the second one, obviously. Right. Was the pay shit. Yeah. For the first movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like, were you like, I am getting $5,000 a week? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of exactly what it was, but it, it, it wasn't good. I mean, I was, I think I got, I got paid scale for Craglin, but it was, you know, it was a few weeks of work and I got, should, should I just say, I mean, should sure, I like, the first know, one. I got like a schedule F contract for, for a rocket. So I was paid up a, a lump sum for the full, for the full course of the thing. But you probably worked. Now, You're probably working 14 hours a day for f- five days a week, right? Well, not exactly five days a week. I mean, Rocket's role is not quite that big in the first movie, but um, I worked a ton. And I know on the second movie, I, you know, I mean, that was a little different and the pay was better, obviously. But the but on the second movie, I had the most number of days on set. How many of, were of there? Anybody. How many days on set? Yeah. I think like, you know, mid 50s or something. Did that scare you? Like, oh, fuck. Can I do that? No, I loved it. That's you what I want it. all the time. You just want to be on set. I wish I was going tomorrow to do that. You just want to be on set. I really do. Well, I, I just want to be employed. You know, like I like my days <laughs> I off. I love it. It's so nice. I like my days off when I'm working, yeah. you know, but sure. I, I really, um, I, I've 
always love acting. And I feel like now I try to make a point to love it more than ever because it's so much harder in some ways. You know, you said before that you hate it and you love it, you know, and I think that that's true. And because of the reasons that I hate it, I try to make my loving it that much more, love it that much more more, when I love it. And like, I, you know, my wife, she's said, you know, you'd work every day if you could. Yeah. You get that gun gene that you just want to work all the time. Well, the, the weird, you know, the weird flip side of that is that I've worked, I've worked so little. I mean, I, I, I've worked a lot on, on the guardians movies and stuff, but like, my God, for on Gilmore, I was on Gilmore Girls for seven years, from like 2000 to 2007. And I had buddies that were like, dude, you have the sweetest gig in you Hollywood. two days a week. Because I would. I would work. It's great. You know, we would do, yeah. eight, we would do eight days per episode. Mm-hmm. Is that what you guys did? On- we did 10 because they did two for special effects. Or like oh, right. Stunts. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you had yeah. Spe- the, you had yeah. visual effects. Yeah. So, we, we shot eight days per episode, long hours on that show. But my character was like comic relief, and I would work you know, one or two days an episode. Maybe if I had a, maybe it was a big episode for me, I'd work four days. But Were they pains in the asses? Um, who? Lauren. Um, let me say this about, about, cause she's, by the way, <laughs> fantastic. What people will write about. She's a fantastic. She's actress. a lovely person. She is a lovely person. I've met her. She's awesome in person. She's yeah. a fantastic actress. She, she's enormously talented, but I just wonder like, God, if I had to learn those lines that meant that much stuff, I wonder if it just drove her crazy. There were just reams and reams and reams of dialogue every episode. You know, a minute a page is sort of the rule. We we had a 42-minute show and we averaged, I think, 82-page scripts. So we were that's how much dialogue. She's learning a we movie were, in a week. We were doing over 10 pages every we averaged over 10 pages every single I would have collapsed. Day I'm not even joking for the whole around. series. I would have died. And it's reams and reams of dialogue, and we had to be verbatim or we'd do it again. And so, who's the creator? A friend of Amy Sherman Palladino. Right. She's who's a genius. I sat next to her at the wedding. I didn't know who she was. She was at your wedding. Yes. And we started talking and laughing and goofing and like being corny and talking shit. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You're the yeah. you're the creator of the Gilmore Girls and the Marvelous. And the Marvelous Ms. Maisel. Like, She's fuck amazing. You. You're a genius. She's amazing. She's like, well, and so is her husband. So oh my husband. God, I yeah. love them. Yeah, they're great. And and they and at the time, they were scary to me when I was hired and when I was on the show. It was like she was my boss, so she was the you know the top top of the show. Sure. And I look back now, you know, that was twenty years ago, and I look back and I was like, she was like in her mid thirties and was a female showrunner in a male dominated. How impossible is that world? Yeah, and putting her foot down and saying, "No, I really want the show to be the way that I want it to be." And I think there was a lot of times and she's like, I'm really not all that interested in your notes, <laughs> you know, to the, Dude, I love to that. like, and, and she's a yeah. fucking genius. She's and a I'm genius so, and, yeah. so lucky to have worked with her and with Dan as much as I did. And I, I, I understood why it had to be verbatim. That's not complaining. I'm not saying like, Oh, it had to be verbatim. Can you believe that? It's like, no, it was this old school kind of film comedy style it's why I got cast to begin with. I read the script and I'm like, oh, this is like um, the front page and bringing a baby in these old Howard Hawks scripts. Like I was a student of film. And so I knew that like, this is the style of the show. You said that to her? No, I just knew it. I just, oh, you just, I just knew the style. I just knew it. And I performed it like right. that. And she responded to it. Ah. I, I don't think I've told her that to this day, but I'm sure she knows. Back that. to Lauren Graham. Back to Lauren Graham. So the point is this, they were worked. She and Alexis, particularly Lauren, but Lauren and Alexis were worked so 
ridiculously hard that I think that it made them a little bit nuts. And I would imagine she would say the same thing if she was here, that like it got to a point where like, like that show just started to crush the leads. For me, it was great. I had my one, one or two days. Like, yeah, I would have long days, but there weren't that many of them. And so it was like awesome. So, so when I hear her, she's difficult to work with. It's like, no, you know, like she's wonderful to work with. She's a great person. And you have to understand all these things within their context. Was she totally sunshine all the time? Like who is definitely not. not, I don't know anybody who's always sunshine or they're on Molly's. Right. Yeah. John Lithgow, maybe, but, um, (laughs) yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, all right, so that's uh, fair. That, that I, I I totally get that. Yeah, I like all of the people that I worked with very much. It was not an easy set to work on. Yeah, it just was tense. Um, it it, it was it was just difficult. It was long. There were very long hours, and people get frustrated. And crew, even gets, crew guys, crew, especially Did you crew ever guys. See crew guys go, ah, oh, fuck it. I, I don't know. Every day, every day, isn't that hard? When people are, every day. there's nothing like just having fun and everybody's energy. It's just, but when yeah. it turns a little sour because people are working so hard, mm-hmm. like I look at those Game of Thrones shows and I'm like, oh my god, they're probably dying shooting this. Mm-hmm. It's probably their last day of life. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna die the next day. Yeah. So I get a crew. There's nobody. They say that the average, uh, you know, I don't know if it's TV director or TV producers. They live like in their fifties. They're just, their heart gives out. They're oh, exhausted. There's like crazy shit. All right, I want to talk to you about this. You know, I love Jimmy. He's one of my best friends. Is it hard to work for your brother? He's an amazing individual. I love him. His heart is, uh, it's gold. And mm-hmm. he's a genius and all that. And we talked, he's alpha. We we both know that and we love it. And mm-hmm. I am too. And, you know, um, Look, when I worked with him, I worked with him for a couple of days in Guardian. So, you know, I, you know, but I'm sure those those moments get really tense and they're like, you know, I, and he wants done things done a certain way. Are there any times where as a brother, you forget like, you're like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, he's like, he's like, Sean, Sean, no, no, I need you to. Yeah, it, it doesn't last very long. My brother is really good at his job, so yeah. it, that makes it not hard, you know, to to work together. And our jobs fit together very well. He's a he's a creator and he's a writer director, and I'm an actor, and we have a shorthand for communicating with one another that is good or better than he has with any other actor. I would think. I love working with my brother. It's easier being on set with him than it is with with. Just about anyone else. There are times when he gets a little testy with me. But for the most part, he's kind of his best self when he's on set directing. And he's such a maniac for pre-production and for preparation. So much of the work is already done when we're on set that we actually, as actors, have the ability to really play with the scenes and figure out what the scenes are about and, and, and have that be the focus of the day rather than all the other shit that people can be obsessed with while they're trying to shoot a movie. He he does a good job of creating that cocoon for the actors so that we're really just sort of working on the, on the scenes. And so at the end of the day, it's like, I get that question all the time. What's it like working with your brother? And the truth is it's better than it is working with just about anyone else. Like that's the one thing from now until the end of my career. If he calls and says, I need you to do this for me, I do it because that's awesome. I love that. You know, because yeah, I mean, that's the sort of the contract that we, that we have with, with one another, but you know, you've, you've worked with him on set. He's, he's really, um, he's just, he's just really low key. Yeah. He's more high strung 
and other, like I, I'd imagine in that, a real life. I imagine that if if there are people that get the full brunt of his bad side that he works with, it's people that aren't living up to his high standards in the earlier part of the process. You know, I bet he yells more in the in the production office right. than he does on set. But I think people, for the most part, like like working with him. I mean, yeah, I haven't heard one thing that you know one yeah. person that doesn't. And I I think that it's like I mean, you look at the great directors like Kubrick, and you know, there's a, a certain level, like you said, of um, you know preparation. And you know, if you watch these old videos with Shelley Long, he's like, Shelley, what are you doing? Oh God, we said action. Did you ever see that the uh, documentary for The Shining? I think you mean Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Would it be pretty <laughs> funny if that was Shelley Long in The Shining? Um, no, I, I haven't seen that documentary, but I've heard, I've, I've read about yeah, that. It's incredible. That he tormented her, and like you know, um, and that doesn't sound very nice. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. You know, when this whole thing happened with James, when they, he got fired off of uh, Guardians, mm-hmm. and, and and thank God he got uh, you know reinstated or whatever, sure. and he's back and. What went through your head? Like, it's got to be just tough as a brother. It's like you always have your brother's back. Yeah. Uh, That was a very strange experience for me. And there's a part of me that wished that I, like, kept a journal through that, you know, because those days, particularly right in the, like, the two weeks, two to three weeks following his getting fired were, were very strange because I was in a unique position. I'm both his brother and somebody who you know, supports him down the line. And, and I could go, I could go one direction and be like, let me try to actually support my brother and, and tell you why, why, what he did either wasn't that bad at all, or at least probably wasn't as bad as you think it was in terms of the tweets from years earlier that he got fired for. But then I'm also a member of the cast. So at that same time, the cast is, is, you know, I'm communicating with, um, with my colleagues and with Chris and Zoe and Dave and, and Palm and Karen and Rooker primarily. And the public statement that we made that we all signed, we really collaborated on that. And so I'm kind of like writing this, this fence where I'm supporting my brother, but I'm also wanting to, as a cast member, do exactly the right thing in terms of putting on the public face. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to write my own statement that supported my brother, um, but that also put it in some context without flying off the handle. I mean, my my gut instinct was to be furious. And I wish I could have in many ways been as upset as, say, Bautista was about it. You know, oh, yeah, he was pretty Bautista vocal. was was livid, outraged. It still is in many ways. And God, I love him for it. And I wanted to kind of be right there with him. First of all, I don't I don't quite have the career where I can do that because I don't have if if all of a sudden I become known as somebody who's difficult in some way, I, I'm not there yet. You know, like I can't like I remember Bautista saying to me, you know, fuck him. If I get blackballed, I'll go wrestle in Japan. And um, and it's like I can't go wrestle in Japan. <laughs> Maybe I could. I don't know. We'll see after. But also, I didn't pack the same punch as other people did in terms of defending my brother. So any defense I gave, I knew that people would say, well, yeah, you're his brother, so you have to say that. Um, so I knew that what I said had to be smart enough that people really took it at least a little bit separate from the fact that I was his brother. So it was really like this time when I'm like, oh, my God, I want to I, I, I want to fire back. I never felt so much pressure to say exactly the right thing as I did 
in those days following his getting fired. And I was hopeful that it would like, I don't know if blowing over is exactly the right term for what happened, but I think that what has happened since in terms of him getting rehired has been appropriate. And um, from this point on, it's like, I'm happy to talk about it if people want to talk about it, but I love not having to talk about sure. it too. You know, so we won't talk about. No, that. No, no, no. You I'm know kidding. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like I'm, but like I, it's, it's, pa- it's right. I, I'm an actor. I don't want my name in the paper for anything other than than giving a great acting performance. How many times did you look at what you had written because you did write something? Mm-hmm. How long before you actually sent it? Because. With us, I think we're we're fiery. If I, I see something, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath. You're not mm-hmm. sending anything until you really, really think about this. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do, especially when you're coming from a um, a place of just it's like it's in your heart, it's in your stomach, it's in your it's everywhere, and it's just like you. I want to defend my brother. Right. I fucking uh, you know or whatever. Um, how long did it take before you said, okay, this is how long did you? How many times did you look at it and um, present it? It was, I I remember that it was, that he was fired on a Friday and it was right when my then fiance and and now wife and I had, had started to take a road trip to St. Louis to see my parents. And we got in super late at night and I could barely sleep. And I woke up and I wrote my statement at like six in the morning. It took me about an hour or so to actually write it. And then about five or six hours of, of rereading and rereading. And Natasha was incredibly helpful in not only helping me edit it and say, I think you should take this out. And I think you should say this, but also in sort of steering me in the right direction and saying, you know, just keep in mind as you're writing this statement to come from a place of like love and generosity of spirit. I know that you're angry, but having your anger come out in this statement is not going to be helpful for James. It's not going to be helpful for you personally so like keep your eye on what's important as you write this and like she was really helpful but yeah i just read it over and over and over and over again sure and, and i gave it to my brother brian to say you know because they're like is there anything in here that because at that time there's this fear that like i'm gonna put out a statement and i'll say one wrong thing in there and then all, all of a sudden, sudden i yeah. got 100 people on me all of a sudden marvel's like oh yeah well now his brother's yeah, fired right oh yeah now his other brothers right yeah, his yeah. whole family yeah so let me ask you this you know we'll wind this down um you know, I went to the wedding. It was beautiful, and I noticed you had um, your parents were there live, like a FaceTime uh-huh, or something, yeah. and they were kind of watching this because your dad's been sick and he's sure. in St. Louis. And I know that was hard on you. I know it was hard on the entire family. Mm-hmm. And then we've had conversations about this, and you know, it's it did obviously it makes me sad. I can't imagine how you guys feel, but you know, it had to be tough making a decision like, hey, should we cancel the wedding? Should we? Should we, you know, what what is there to wait for? And mm-hmm. I liked, it's like your dad's sick. You could stop everything and, you know, he doesn't want that. But it was just like, when are you going to prepare for what you can't prepare for? Yes. We couldn't anticipate what was going to happen. And so there were times when we were trying to, to schedule the wedding around when my dad might be able to be there or what we thought of his health situation at the time. And then you get to a point where it's just like, you just have to continue and know that he supports us. And and I actually think in some ways that my dad was really, my dad loves my wife and is so happy that we met each other. And, and I think that he, the fact that we were getting married was always more important to him than the, like, obviously he would have loved to be there, but the event itself to him, I think was probably even more important than his, his involvement with it. 
I, I also think, you know, the way I look at it is he did see you. And yeah. he knows that his son was married to this woman who he loved. Mm -hmm. And he knows how happy you are and how and he knows how proud of you he is. And it's hard because I know how, what a close relationship you have. And, you know, it's weird because my father and I are finally, there's sort of an understanding. You know, I, he knows I went to this facility. You know, and I just said, hey, I'm, I'm going to this place. And, you know, there's been a certain turning over a new leaf with my father where he's just you know, he's been saying things that are more, wow, I'm talking to someone who's a human being. I'm talking yeah. to a, um, you know, I'm feeling, you know, empathy. I'm, I'm, I'm getting empathy. I'm getting more of an understanding than I ever did as a child. And, you know, I went through a lot to realize that, hey, they did the best they could. And, um, you know, I, I forgive my parents and I love them. And I, it's just nice to think that, you know, we're in a different place. Because I always, I'd say I, I envy you and, you know, especially over the years, you and Jimmy and, and the rest of your family and a lot of my friends' families, I always sort of envied, I was always the, you know, they were, I always had surrogate parents in a way. I felt like, oh, you know, your dad texts me and he's like, Rosie. And I just like, gosh, you know, and I want that. I want that. Yeah. And I feel sad. I can tell you that I feel like my father and I have an understanding of one another. I was always, of all my siblings, the one who was kind of the least invested in approval and in needing my mom and dad to like approve of the life that I was living or think that I was doing the right things. That was never super important to me. I was always like, I'm going to do my own thing. And I just sort of know that. But I also know that my dad really respects that about me. And to me, there was, there was something really important in not... <laughs> not searching for anything specific from my dad that gave me the most amount possible that I could actually get from him. Is that a weird thing to say? Like I, I, I only just wanted him to kind of understand me and he's done that. And I think I understand him better. I think you're articulating it better than I am because that's what I'm trying to say is like, I'm the opposite. I'm, like in a way, you know, I've been trying mm -hmm. like, you know, success and this and that, like to make him sort of understand me, to love me, to, you know, I, I've heard it from a lot of people. And so what you're saying is sort of the opposite where you don't need that, you know, that, mm -hmm. and I think that's ultimately what I was trying to say. And what you're trying to say is that there's something really cool about knowing that you both get each other and you both love each other and you appreciate each other and respect each other. And I think that's what I'm, you know, striving to hopefully get to a place. And I certainly look at effort in a different way now. I think that effort is, you know, when someone says, you know, my dad said something to me while we were driving up to the mountains, like two weeks ago, he's just said, is after I talked about a little bit about, you know, what I went through, but I didn't get too deep with my dad. I don't, you know, I just still very, there's a wall there. And he said, you know, um, I'll never forget. I was working for this company and he was so stressed out. And he just was like, you know, he was, he was so depressed. And he's just like, I thought, you know, being dead would probably be better. And it was the first time, like, he just opened up a little to me. Like, mm -hmm. he was like, and he was staring at the road as he's driving. And I go, I get it, Dad. I get it. <laughs> and there was that just that moment where I felt like, this is kind of like, cool. This is like, a, just this, there's a connection for just a moment. And so, it's cool. Yeah. Once you kind of put yourself in the mindset of like, 
yeah, there are things I need from this person, but not really. Yeah. There's nothing I really actually need no. other than to be able to sit and experience the pleasure of their company and try mm -hmm. and, and the effort to try to understand one another is the understanding. Well, uh, where can we find you on the, <laughs> oh, God. after such an intense conversation? Look, yeah, man, listen, I, I want to say uh, thank you for coming. And this is, you know, you're so open and, you know, I was like, you know, should I talk to him about the, the guardian state? Should I talk to him about, you know, I know your dad's sick, but you, you were pretty forthcoming mm -hmm. and, and, and it just, it made for just really good understanding and conversation and just like a respect. And I think that you being open and not, you know, you telling me about your, you know, you had to sell your house and you were down and out. I mean, I think that's what people sort of like, it makes you just more human. It mm -hmm. makes you like relatable, you know? And I think when people listen, whether you're an actor or not, it's like people hit certain places and they're embarrassed by things that happen along the way, failures. And as we all know, failures make you stronger. They just do. Yeah. They just do. If you, unless you let them a hundred percent. And I meant it when I said to you, what, that's what I like about this podcast is that I, I think that I've heard a lot of people come in here and they, they sort of lose the artifice of whatever it is that they're, you, you know, I, I've heard people talk about real shit. And so like, it's more interesting that way anyway. Right. I agree. Uh, Sean Gunn, I uh, got, you got uh, guardians three. You're going to end up doing that again. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, I got something pretty cool. I'm doing soon that I can't talk about, but it's, Jesus. uh, but I got something pretty cool, but I'm unemployed after that. So if you're looking for, uh, you know, if you, if you need a, somebody to pretend to be a raccoon, um, <laughs> you know, no, I, uh, uh, and, uh, I'm, uh, let's see, I'm Sean Gunn on Twitter, although I don't use it very often. And I'm, um, the judge gun on Instagram, gun. which I love. Yeah. You use that a lot. And we go to like conventions Instagram. together. We have I know a great I time. See conventions, yeah. yeah. It's nice. Look, this has been a real treat. Let's go take a couple pictures and get you out of here. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Thanks. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.